Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Yes, indeed, there is a war, and it is a a ferocious war that's going on for our souls, both internally and externally in the world and in our own lives. So, Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to hear about what you are doing around the world, how you have protected and strengthened believers, Lord God, to bring them into the fullness of the revelation of your grace, your mercy, and your salvation. I thank you, Jesus, for giving us tonight eyes to, eat, to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive that revelation. I thank you, Lord. You said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I thank you for that freedom. I thank you, Lord, that your word and your, your freedom distinguishes and, and exposes the lies and the counterfeits of the evil one. And persecution is one of the true marks of a believer. And so, Father, I thank you tonight as we share our show with Dr. Pat uh, we'll be introducing in a minute that you will give us a great deeper insight, compassion, understanding into the great magnitude of the battle that goes on between the spirits of darkness uh, and the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord, that in this war we have won because you are the victorious one. So, Father, thank you tonight. Give us that um, wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hello, uh, Dr. Pat. Are you there? I am here. Hi, sweetheart. It's good to... So you made it through all the phone numbers and you got here. Um, yeah. So, I just got a phone number for us. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, you know, um, you have a very interesting ministry and and one that uh, we were only kind of introduced to, I think, this last year, actually, maybe a little bit last year. But I would love to have you talk to us tonight about the things that you do um, with your ministry and the persecution that you, in your new service, 2000, um, serving the persecuted church. Can you start out by telling us? Well, first of all, how do you? Why, uh, Doctor Pat? Where did you get the name? Why do you call yourself Doctor Pat? Ah, well, the doctor in front of my name is because I'm a veterinarian, and I had a practice over in Wisconsin many years ago. But uh, I started taking short-term trips in the countries where Christians do not have religious freedom, or their mm-hmm. religious freedom is terribly curtailed. And um, God just caught me. <laughs> so I left practice and went into full-time ministry for the persecuted church almost 33 years ago. So you were a veterinarian, and now you're ministering mm-hmm. to the broken people of God. Um, so you you mentioned a little bit, but tell a little bit more about how you got um, involved with the persecuted church. Uh, what led you into that as you left your practice uh, in Wisconsin? Well, um, I'm going to date myself here, but back in 1975, I learned about the ministry of Brother Andrew, who is known as God's smuggler. He uh, used to bring Bibles into Eastern Europe. I had an Mm -hmm. opportunity to meet him. He inspired me, and I just started uh, traveling to persecuted countries to talk with the Christians, to see what their needs were. A lot of those early days, 10 years in the communist countries, was bringing in Bibles, uh, the last 22, 23 years has been in Muslim-majority countries. 
And what we wow. do is we, uh, you know, we, we have been providing hundreds of thousands of scriptures, but we do mm-hmm. other things too, of course. Well, I'm kind of shocked that, I mean, I don't know, you're just kind of a, you're a one person who saw a need and and sent yourself, by the grace of God, of course, on a mission to a, to a communist country, closed, persecuted. How did you get into those kind of countries and settings? I mean, weren't you afraid? What, what prompted you to do this? This is a huge, bold step. A lot of people aren't that bold. They're going to just leave off their, their day job and go off and travel the world and smuggle Bibles. So, I mean, you must be quite some adventurer. But can you tell me well, what it, was the... Yeah. It is... Um, well, let's put it this way. God did not drop me off of the deep end right at the beginning. The first trip I was uh, with a group, and we had certainly... Uh, we went into China with Bibles, and that was back in 1982. Uh-huh. And we uh-huh. certainly had some training, a lot of prayer time, got to know each other. Two weeks of training and prayer before we actually went into China. And so it was kind of a controlled trip. And Mm -hmm. I think that if we had been caught with Bibles, uh, China would probably just slap their hand and and we were going in as tourists. Uh But I do know that if they do catch you with something like that, it's not illegal. This was back in 1982. Now, it's not illegal to bring Bibles into a country like China. There's nothing on their books that say it's illegal. But what they do say is we reserve the right to take away from you anything that we deem is um, dangerous to our citizens. And back oh. then, the three things at the top of their list were drugs, pornography, and Bibles. So you oh, really wow. have to just depend upon God to blind the eyes of those customs agents because they opened all the suitcases. Mm-hmm. I can speak for myself. They had their hands right on the Bibles, and I had 20 Chinese Bibles, oh. which are big. And uh-huh. um, they looked right at them, closed up the suitcase, and you think, well, maybe they were Christian. But people back then that worked at the airports were really high up in the uh, Communist Party. And mm-hmm. they, um, you know, you've got a supervisor walking back and forth, two customs agents at each table, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was just God blinding the eyes. And so oh. um, I got, I was kind of hooked after that. <laughs> I started oh. taking more short-term <laughs> vacation time trips into oh. other countries. Uh-huh. Wow. So there was, there was, and you weren't scared at the airport when they were searching your, I mean, I even get nervous just going through the airport now and I'm doing nothing. <laughs> yes, exactly. They do say that, uh, they told us that the customs agents would think it would be odd if you weren't nervous because anybody who goes through a search, and this is just regular tourists coming in, they're always a little nervous. What, what do they expect? Well, how am I supposed to answer this question? You know, and so mm-hmm. on. But I wouldn't say that I was afraid. Um, I, I guess I was honestly seeing what God would do. And uh, after they did the search and we went in and we all got through with no problems, and this is uh-huh. true of all the other countries except one, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, you just you see how God is really the one that's in control. Yeah, and that is a very good thing to see. And I think as we go through the program tonight, I pray that people will see that because it sometimes looks when you hear the data and the information uh, and what's going on out there and what you saw firsthand. Uh, did it ever shake your faith to see, I mean, obviously you're seeing God doing things, but did it ever, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but just did it ever uh, trouble you to see how many people were uh, being persecuted um, because they love Jesus? Has is, is that ever been uh, shake your faith or is that, what did that do to you? It doesn't shake my faith. 
But, mm-hmm. you know, all the, either when I go over and I'm gathering information, visiting with these Christians, or whether we get reports coming out from our coworkers in these countries, it doesn't shake my faith, but what it does is it, it, um, uh, it breaks my heart. And yet, mm-hmm. they would tell us that, uh, well, this is what they said to me, 33 years of traveling, and that mm-hmm. the first thing they always ask for is prayer. I can remember even back in China, Pat, would you please pray for us? And when they uh-huh. said that, they were really wanting me to bring their stories back so the body of Christ in the free world would pray for them, put under, uh-huh. you know, would just be there for them in prayer. But uh-huh. they have never said to me, never in 33 years, please pray for us that the persecution ends. Okay. They say, please pray for us that we will remain faithful. They mm. know they're going to pay a price. They know this. Um, it says in Second Timothy, all who mm. desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And mm. they know that. They, they say, how we as the servants, how can we expect any less than what happened to our master, to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And so they don't like it. They're human beings. Their families are threatened. Right. They have family members that are killed and imprisoned and tortured. And yet they say that persecution is the Christian norm. Now, we mm-hmm. here in America don't see that because we yeah. are not really persecuted. If we share our faith, we'll face embarrassment or rejection or maybe mm-hmm. some ridicule. And ridicule, that, that's yeah. a form of persecution. But mm-hmm. someone just said... Oh, Americans, Christian Americans in, sorry, Christians in America, they aren't persecuted. They're simply intimidated. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, they really want to make sure everybody likes them and nobody judges them. And we're, so we haven't even stepped across the, the threshold yet of real persecution. But it sounds like from what you're saying that these people in the, uh, in, in the other countries do not see themselves as victimized. They don't see themselves as um abused they don't see themselves as um well persecuted yes but but for righteousness sake and they don't consider that to be a uh a, a mark against them in some ways they, mm-hmm. they see it almost as a badge of courage or a mark of honor it sounds like I've, but i've just talked to two different people who are imprisoned and uh they said um you know, they don't like the prisons because the prisons there aren't like here. They're, they're torture and starvation and you know, just mm. terrible. But they said, uh, this one fellow in particular said, well, he says, uh, I thank God that I'm here because it's given me an opportunity to bring many of the prisoners to Christ. Wow. So how do you get to talk to them in prison? Are you, and you're here. How do you do that? I can't say too much about that. No, no, no. Okay, have, I'm sorry. I'm curious. But no, no, you no, just okay. tell me only we what have, you can. I, yeah, you have ways. We have, source, we have sources. We have people. Um, uh, there was a, a, a father and his daughter, uh, Muslims, who became Christians. And uh, they were, it was publicized in their country. They were scrutinized. And then they got death threats. The young girl, she was 14. She had acid thrown at her. And um, during all of this time, uh, one of the pastors that I work with, his wife's cousin was their lawyer. So he get this information. And uh-huh. just recently, a fellow by the name of Muhammad, uh, he a few years ago became a Christian, and he wanted to change his identity paper from Muslim to Christian, which is something that basically is impossible in this country, I mean, that country. And yeah. so um, he and his wife got death threats. Their home was vandalized. Everything was burned. They uh, And now he's spending six to five years in prison uh, just for 
you know, trying to convert. Because in a, in a Muslim world, uh, many Muslims in the Quran would consider him an apostate and that he should be killed. Yeah. So they, uh, and so his lawyer, again, we know somebody who knows somebody, but many mm-hmm. times I was in the women's prison where a young woman by the name of uh, Miriam was imprisoned in, this was in Sudan. She was imprisoned a few months ago. She was pregnant. Her own family turned her into the authorities because she had converted from Islam to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And she was given a death sentence. They were going to hang her. After the baby was born and weaned, they were going to mm-hmm. hang her. But there was so much public outcry here. Every mm-hmm. church I went into and visited around here said, oh, yeah, we know about her, we know about her. And because mm-hmm. of that, the Italian government and I think our government managed to spirit her out of the country, and she's now living here. Wow. wow. So, uh, but, so vis- you know, I, you, there's some prisons I can visit uh, but even if I don't visit the prisons, I talk to the people, be, you know, after they come out. So their attitude about the the persecution and the and the the threats uh, doesn't seem to bring them as much fear and terror or intimidation as we are under here, and we have really no major sanctions at this point anyway. Um, so that is that must be uh, supernaturally given to them by the Holy Spirit because I don't see how I mean. I, I just, you know, there's, and I, I know you can't probably speak specifically about some things, but we hear, you know, stories and reports about ISIS and various things and Christians being beheaded and children being killed and that sort of thing. Um, it just seems like they are in a whole different mindset uh, as far as what their faith means to them and, and how genuine and real and uh, it, 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 it's in every part of their life. It's not just a kind of a a little compartment we do on Sunday or something. It's like their day, their their everyday walk, it sounds like. Is is that what you see? I do. They tend to, um, not tend to, they they have nothing, uh, many, of course, compared to, to us, many of our Christian brothers and sisters, are would, we would consider them poor. They don't mm-hmm. have a lot of possessions, even before mm-hmm. ISIS. And the, they don't have a lot of possessions. Um, so they are not as distracted by life. In fact, the Chinese right. Christians told me this back in 1982, that our that the spiritual warfare, what Satan uses against us, is our apathy, mm-hmm. our promiscuity, and our materialism. Mm-hmm. And so we are so busy with our materialism, mm-hmm. and not being greedy, but just things we have to do, that right. we busy. don't find a lot of time to be with the Lord. Our brothers and sisters that I visit... Uh, have been kicked out of their homes, perhaps, or they are minorities, or, and they they have lots of time. There there are services, you know, when they get together and have a service, it can go on all day. We, if it's uh-huh. more than an hour, we get ner- we get nervous. <laughs> so <laughs> we get busy so they, and distracted and need to leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, so uh, you, uh, I, go ahead. The, the, so I, yeah, I'm I'm looking actually in your newsletter right now at an interesting looking woman. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Um, well, I think her name is Celia, but anyway, um, she, she just looks very strong, very content, very peaceful. I haven't read her story yet, but it seems like maybe are those Christians like in China and the various places you've been, are they trying to tell the American believers, do they see us as them or do they see it, Do they look at us like with contempt because we're lazy and we're, we're you know, we're not being persecuted, we're not standing up. Do they want to send us a message to encourage us to um, get persecuted? and Or do they just look at us like, oh, they're such wimps? What do you think? 
<laughs> what they do, um, yeah, you know, like news service is a conduit between the persecuted church and the church in America. And the persecuted church, often individuals have told me that even in China, 20, what, 30 years ago, 1982, or sorry, uh, yeah, 1982, even then they said to us, we pray for you daily. And I was thinking how humbling that is, because do we think to pray for Amer- for the Chinese Christians? Do we pray for the Christians in Egypt or in Syria daily? No, we probably don't even know about them. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that was very humbling that back then in the communist country where they didn't have American TV, they didn't have American broadcast or anything from America, and they knew about the promiscuity and the apathy and the materialism. Sure. And they were yeah. praying for us daily because they do see us as a lukewarm church or maybe in some cases a weak church. And they know that Satan is winning the battle here. Yes. Do they see us then? I mean, I, obviously, I suppose the way the reason they know we're promiscuous and all that is because we import and, and send over our, our cast-me-off kind of clothes with all the logos and the pictures and the evil things and the, the videos and the movies that all get, you know, moved over there and... Uh, dubbed to their their culture, and so they can see what we're doing. But do they uh, sense that our mediocrity, lukewarmness, our intelligence, our apathy, our business? Do they see that as a form of persecution, or do they just see that that we're just drugged and stupefied? Well, if we say that uh, whether it's persecution, I don't think they would define it as persecution, but they would uh-huh. define it as a spiritual attack, and sure. uh, that's Satan. Our church attendance, our mm-hmm. strength in Christianity is getting weaker and weaker because Satan seems to be, I don't think he can win, but Satan is, you know, alive mm-hmm. and well. Mm-hmm. Persecution, where they are, their churches are taken away from them, and I've seen this, churches taken away, turned into warehouses, turned into movie theaters, where Christians literally right now in Egypt and, of course, ISIS, are being forced out of their homes literally with nothing but the clothes on their backs. And they... That church, under that type of persecution, it grows because their strength, they, they get their strength from God. They totally depend on God. That's yeah. all they've got to depend on. And so yeah. they, in turn, their strength, their strength, their faith grows. And even if I can bring back 10% of that to the churches here and, you know, share in churches here, we yeah. would bless the churches here too. Well, it's interesting how you, you know, in the early church, um, it began to grow faster and faster with the martyr's blood, the more that the they were thrown into the the arenas and they um, became the entertainment of the elite and whatnot. It seemed like there was a testimony there that caused the church to just ignite. I mean, even Nero and all Rome could not stop this this growth. But you you would think you'd have the opposite effect. You would think that if people are being persecuted and chased out of their homes and driven out and chased around the world and, you know, persecuted and threatened and killed and you would think that it would really subdue the church and any and and anybody who might want to join it. So how does that work? I mean, how does it become more attractive the more they see themselves or their their friends they're they're being persecuted? How does that? What is what's the the psychological component here that makes this become so powerful that God would use it to actually grow the church? Because it sounds like that is what He's using to grow the church. There's certainly when persecution comes to any country. Excuse me. When the persecution comes to any country, there are certainly some that fall away, that uh, uh, will say deny Christ in order to live or to mm-hmm. gain some benefits. But uh, the Christians that are totally dependent upon the Lord, and many, many, many are, 
they mm-hmm. um, they see how the Lord works even in the midst of persecution, and they mm-hmm. they get that I can't even describe it, but they 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 just dig their heels in and say mm-hmm. we will not deny, we will follow Christ. A fourteen year old girl in mm-hmm. a Muslim country, Christian girl in the school mm-hmm. system, she was the only Christian in her grade level. 14 years old, and the teachers literally were giving her zeros on her exams so she wouldn't, uh, because her teachers are Muslim, so she wouldn't be able to go on to high school because they couldn't stand the fact that a Christian, and she was a very good student, that she would be um, more successful than Muslim girls. Right, exactly. And so uh, I said to her, and I knew that she really couldn't do this, but I said to her, why don't you, you couldn't you just go to another school, wear a scarf, you know, so it looks like you're Muslim, and mm-hmm. or on the street for that matter, and um, then you know, then you could go on to high school or whatever. And she said that I will, if I wore a scarf, I would be saying I'm a Muslim. I feel I would be de- denying Christ, and so mm-hmm. therefore I won't wear the scarf, even if they kill me. And she's 14 mm-hmm. years old. Wow, that's precious. Her so faith I, is precious, isn't mm-hmm. it, to her? And that makes me think how I, precious is our faith to us. You know, these little so these little children from six years old on, I could tell you story after story of how they are discriminated against, especially mm-hmm. in the Muslim majority. Well, that's where I work in the Muslim majority countries. They are mm-hmm. so persecuted by their teachers, by their classmates, and uh, they come out stronger. They come out stronger because they have to depend on the Lord. Mm-hmm. They can't. They don't want to deny Christ. How does How and does the so, Lord help them when they're depending on Him? Uh, how does he get them out of trouble when they're facing not just maybe ridicule, but as the as they resist more, I'm sure that the pressure also increases against them. Have you seen it how does. the Lord has delivered them? I mean The Lord doesn't always deliver them. He doesn't always okay. deliver them. In fact many times he doesn't. But they still realize that their only answer is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so they they stand firm in their faith, even in the midst of the persecution, and what happens in their lives? They get a peace in their lives. They get a joy because their relationship is growing with God. So they get Mm -hmm. this joy in their life. They get this peace in their lives. Not necessarily happiness, because no persecution Mm -hmm. is fun. But they get... I show pictures of them. After I've visited with them and I bring their stories back here and I go into churches, lots of churches, and Mm -hmm. I will do a a service for the persecuted church. And at the end, after I've profiled maybe five people or five families, I'll show Mm -hmm. this five-minute video that we've produced. And every Mm -hmm. face that you see in that video, big smiles on their faces. Mm -hmm. They have that assurance of heaven. They have that Mm -hmm. assurance of uh, God with them. And, you know, we say, if God is with us, who can be against us? So wow. they know they've already won the battle or they've won the war, but they still yeah. have to struggle. Well, they they surely must understand very clearly uh, the war between God and Satan for the souls of men, the spiritual battle that in this country is very murky. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking of people, uh, you know, in this country, people would say if something bad happens to them, even, uh, you know, the, the moderate Christians or the even the non-believers, it's just like, if God is so good, then why does he let all this stuff go on? And why does he let this happen to me? And after all, I'm a good person. And why is he? And so we turn immediately to uh, kind of a works mentality. Well, I've done all this and blah, blah, blah. And here I am. You know, why is God letting this happen? Sort of like a Job thing. Only Job didn't really um, curse God or at all. But, but we kind of go with, well, you know, this isn't fair because I've served God. I've given tithes. I've you know what are and why is god letting this happen to me and 
I think we don't understand that the things that God permits in our lives are also a form of persecution to allow us to grow. It seems like we're more tempted to become exactly. better. Yeah. Um, I was taught this when I first became a Christian. You know, you've got a problem, you've got a challenge or whatever. You can mm-hmm. try and skirt around it or you can mm-hmm. re- go into it head on. Um, and if you go into it head on with God, you know, it's it's that type of, of problem. Right. God is there with you. And I, I see people crying and hurting. I don't mean just here, but overseas too. And yeah. I know that God is crying and hurting right along with them. You know, right. he did not yeah. create us to be in this type of world. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, because that's of the right. sin nature, we mm-hmm. have, um, you know, and so, uh, I, you know, that's a big theological question that's hard to answer. But um, what they tell me over there is, again, persecution is the norm for a Christian. And uh, it's not that God's allowing it or causing it. It's a question of the sin nature of man and these bad things happen, but God is still with us. And that's what they say over in Egypt when all these revolutions are going on and then the Muslim Brotherhood took over and the Christians, I think something like, um, was it a little over a year ago, 90 churches were burned. Christians were forced out of their homes. They ended up on the street. We helped them buy some blankets and stuff, but basically, uh, they constantly tell me, God is with us. God is in control. Okay, yeah, they're sitting wow. on the street with an infant wow. and no milk or anything, and they'll still say yeah. God is in control. That's awesome. That's amazing. Either they're in total denial and they're in a, in a state of shock, or they've got something we don't have. And you know, one of the things I, ca- I thought of I thought of as you were talking was, they, like you said, they don't have much. They have no other solutions but God. They don't have social services, they don't have medic medications, they don't have escapes, they don't have um, you know, counseling services, they don't have anything really to help them other than just plain old straight out God. <clears throat> and so um, God is their solution. He has to be their help because they don't have they can't fall back on, you know, a bank account or a you know, a service, a social service here or a not to say that those things aren't are we shouldn't have those things. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying they really do not have anything. And when you have no. nothing and God, you have everything. But to those of us who have too much of everything, it just that gets in our way. Um, well, we I, just I don't remember understand. meeting with, I met with some widows um, back in, oh, I don't know, 2000, well, 1999 to 2000, you know, Y2K time. And mm-hmm. uh, a village in Egypt was badly attacked and burned and, and people were killed. I met with the widows after that, and they said, um, one widow said to me when I was sympathizing or commiserating with her because she'd lost her husband, and she was sad, but she said, you know, we all die sometime. And what she was Mm -hmm. really saying was, this life, temporary life, and what we know, she had the assurance of eternal life. But the other thing is, I've been in refugee camps where Mm -hmm. they have very little food, they have mm-hmm. shelter. I've seen them make igloos out of burlap sacks. And mm-hmm. they've got nothing. And they get sick. And they've got nothing, not even mm-hmm. aspirin. And mm-hmm. the first thing they still ask for is, please pray for us. The second thing is Bibles. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, you as, a, as an American, me as an American, we'd say, boy, I'd be looking for food or medicine or something. They asked mm-hmm. me for Bibles. And it took mm-hmm. me a long time to realize that mm-hmm. those Bibles that they're asking for is their spiritual food. Again, uh-huh. this is a uh-huh. temporary life. They want to be prepared. They want to be is you know close to God before the before the afterlife. And yeah. so they ask for Bibles. And that's yeah. why we over the years 
hundreds of thousands of Bibles have gone into these countries. Now, I don't buy them, obviously. They come from people here in America that buy them. But, uh, you know, that is amazing to me. Still, as an American Christian, well, I've got lots of Bibles, and I don't mm-hmm. get into my Bible, obviously, as much as I should. And they mm-hmm. just devour. You give them a Bible, and they practically cry. Sometimes they do. And they just mm-hmm. treasure them so much. Yeah, yeah. I can I can imagine that, because that is their life. That's the Word of God. That's where they get to learn about God. And it, it stabilizes the faith that they already have. But uh, in our country, I think we take our, our so many of these things for granted. But going back for a minute to the fruit, um, Jesus said, you know, by their fruit you shall know them, whether the thing is good or bad, whether it's from heaven or hell, um, by the fruit. Uh, wolves will come in sheep's clothing. And I, I see in America, just to make a contrast here, that the fruit of our Gospels, many Gospels that are, many of them are counterfeit to the one true Gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a Gospel of grace and forgiveness and rest and peace and mercy and strength and courage and the willingness to love and lay down their life. It's the true fruit is, you know, to lay down your life for your brother or for, you know, that's what they're really doing. That's the fruit. Uh, you can't You can't find better fruit than that. But in our country, the fruit that's coming out of our churches, for the most part, is not that at all. It's it's um, it's carnality. It's um, uh, you know I don't know. It, it's it's indifference. Um, and and so I know even when we go many times, we've started going to the the music festivals, which we call the pagan festivals. You know where people go when they're 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 burnt out, strung out on drugs, listening to stupid music, dressing like bananas and butterflies and bubbles and weird stuff and. And it, we have deep discussions with them about God because that's really they're lost, and uh, they're all they've been many of them have been through uh, our American systems of churches, and they've come out of there just bitter and disgruntled and confused because I believe that part of it is that the, over there it sounds like they must be getting the gospel of the love of God. They don't see God as mean because he's not you know there he's not their bellboy he's not jumping at every little women wish and they're not mad at him but over here. We don't understand because we've been mis, uh, given a, a, a misconception of who God is and his greatness, and somehow he is supposed to be serving us. Uh, I think that that might be. But going again back to the persecution and the fruits, um, you must be just uh, feel very, very indeed privileged to be able to go in and go out and um come, you know, see what you see. Can you tell us a little bit about, I know you've been talking about that, but uh, how has that changed you? Oh, tremendously. I mean, the first, even the first trip I came back and I went, uh, wow, (laughs) bringing in the Bible, seeing how God can blind the eyes. And as Mm -hmm. I said, I did some more, obviously, smuggling over the first 10 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. But what I see is the Christians that are persecuted that again, that total dependence on God, that mm-hmm. absolute faith, even though they are human, and mm-hmm. they—you said it—they see God as great and as powerful, and because of that, there's this deep uh, attitude of worship. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. take God wow. for granted. They they mm-hmm. worship Him. They uh, they adore Him. And uh, he he really does become their father, their mentor, their 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 friend. You know, Jesus says, "You are my brother." And then when you meet the different Christians over there, and mm-hmm. they're coming together, they as they come together too, you see that sense of um, family. 
I mean, they're not even related to each other, but you see that some right, family. I right. guess I could say that if you traveled anywhere in the world, whether it's a restrictive type country or an open country, anywhere you go to the mm-hmm. end of the earth, you you will find Christian family. And I go mm-hmm. into some countries, especially in those early days, I go in cold, meaning I don't have any contacts or anything. God mm-hmm. kind of made it clear that, I, well, he made it very clear in different ways that I should go. So I go to mm-hmm. this country and... Um, mm-hmm. The first day I meet someone, and I'm not—I don't—I'm not looking for them, but I know God's got a plan. And mm-hmm. I have family all over the world, in a sense. I have mm-hmm. family, Christian family, all over the world. And even though our cultures are different and our language is different, first of all, God mm-hmm. always seems to provide a translator. Except when mm-hmm. I went to like Cuba, and I had to use my high school Spanish. But, uh-huh. <laughs> but for the most part, God always provides everything I need too. Mm-hmm. including before I go on the trip, the, the funding, the whatever. He, God provides mm-hmm. everything, and that would be true of you too. If you feel mm-hmm. God was calling you to go someplace, uh, it's up to God to provide the money, babysitters, time off from work, whatever, and God will do mm-hmm. it. But regardless, mm-hmm. when I go to these people, I don't know their language, and I don't know their culture, the Christian culture, the Christian family culture overshadows all of that. And I yeah. feel perfectly at home with our brothers and sisters overseas. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not always the case here. <laughs> it yeah, certainly it is well, there that you um, oh. that they they you, we just embrace each other, and I don't mean physically, mm-hmm. but you you get that bond, that spiritual bond. Mm-hmm. And this one wonderful, slightly older man, he mm-hmm. um, he was a tailor. We called him Thomas the Tailor. He was in Egypt, and he started a house church, a secret. Well, it wasn't so secret, but a house church in his apartment. And mm-hmm. because in Egypt at that time you couldn't get permission to build a church. So mm-hmm. the Christians would meet in homes, apartments, chicken coops, stables, wherever mm-hmm. they could meet. Uh, it mm-hmm. wasn't illegal unless a Muslim neighbor who would say, oh, they started a church. And so mm-hmm. Thomas had this wonderful church. And the first time I met him, I went to one of his house church meetings. And he couldn't speak my language. So he just held my hand. And um, and the translator talked, you know, uh, went back and forth. They often mm-hmm. asked me to do a little sharing at these meetings. And then we mm-hmm. sat there for probably another three hours and just mm-hmm. conversed through the translator. I went back another time, just saw me on the street, took me by the hand. Um, he was actually then picked up by the police numerous times and tortured just mm-hmm. to try to stop him from having these meetings. And he would mm-hmm. not. And finally, mm-hmm. uh, the um, police wanted to wash their hands of him, so they encouraged Muslim youth in the neighborhood to kill him, and they ran him over with a car, and he died. Mm-hmm. And his young, mm-hmm. younger son, who was like 19 at the time, took over the house church. 19 years old, took over the house yeah. church. And mm-hmm. they would pick him up and torture him also. And after his father died, the son's name is Johnny, he and I met. And he had just been accosted on the street and somebody had cut his wrists open and stabbed him in the chest. And he survived. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, even if they kill me, my other brother mm-hmm. will take over. And if they kill him, our mother will take over, meaning continue mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, wow. you know, there's there's that bond there. And, and I feel, mm-hmm. like you said, even though I, I can't speak their language, in this case Arabic, mm-hmm. um, there's still that bond there. And I just have, like you said, God's given me a, a wonderful family wow. all over the world. They sound very um, pampered and non, I mean, I'm not sorry, pam- we are pampered. They are very militant and non-pampered. And it seems like we, you know, get a little owie here. There, we're rushing off to the ER, and we can't take our panic attacks. And I'm not putting these things down because they're real spiritual things. Yeah. I understand that, mm-hmm. 
but it, we're just we just are not geared with that mindset that that you know I guess over there it is uh, well I I think of the scripture where God says many will kill you in my name and think they're doing God a service and you can see that they're not they're not lifting a hand to kill their enemies but the enemies are surely lifting a hand to kill them and many of them I believe are it's all about God it's all about a religious war it's all about worship it's all about the battle for worship and. If the devil can't have your worship, he's going to kill you. So God doesn't get your worship. But then again, God, he continues to uh, prevail. But, you know, this is just not, you know, we just don't take these kind of challenges. For the most part, I don't see, I mean, I just, I am appalled, really. I'm not trying to make a contrast here, but it just seems like it is. Uh, With what we see offered to the Americans as Christianity, we see very overfed, you know, many times overfed people sitting in nice suits and and in their fine little you know tv studios discussing the 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 tenets of our faith with some other very fine uh dressed um notable personality and we have millions of people watching them discuss their little theological differences and debates and whatever and it's just like is this what jesus said to do i mean it really looks like what you're finding over there in the rest of the world is really what the book of acts looked like um Stephen being martyred and and Paul Peter being thrown in jail and and Paul also I mean it reminds me of that scripture in um, I got to read this it's one of my favorites actually not it's so it's so militant I love it but uh, in Acts twenty verse twenty three where Paul is being warned by various of the prophets that if he goes uh, to Jerusalem he's going to you know be arrested he's going to get in trouble. Um, and uh that's and he's just he's going to go anyway and they if they came to him and said um uh that you know that this was going to happen and he he said um he says and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there except this is verse 23 that the holy spirit testifies in every city saying that that chains and tribulations await me but none of these things moved me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord to testify to each gospel, to to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Um, so he was very aware that he was walking into a trap, enemy territory, and uh, the Holy Spirit had warned him, but the Holy Spirit gave him an option. You, either, you can go, you can run away, whatever you want to do. Paul says, none of these things moved me. So, um, he had his mind made up, and it seems like they almost were looking forward to the persecution, their in, imprisonment, their uh, trials, and, and, and cruel mockings. It's almost like these guys are, you know, nuts. How do you stop them? <laughs> How do you stop somebody who's made up his mind he's going to live and die for Jesus when most believers today in America can't even figure out if they want to live for Jesus, let alone die for him at this point? I'm, again, not... But how, how Pat, Dr. Pat, how do we get our people, is there a way to get our people more uh, passionate about their faith and what is wrong with us that we don't see it so clearly and simply as these people um, in these persecuted countries? What's wrong with us, our faith? What do you see? Well, you know, the, the persecution strengthens. And when we don't have persecution, you just have the pattern, even even in the Old Testament, uh, when the Israelites, yeah. first mm-hmm. generation, 
gung-ho for God in a sense. <laughs> by the second mm-hmm. generation, uh, falling away a little. By third generation, mm-hmm. um, the uh, then this was over and over again with the Israelites. They, by the third generation, the people said, who is God? You know, well, we're too busy right. run, running our own lives. And then God mm-hmm. took them out. You know? And so mm-hmm. then the persecution comes. And then, they, uh, you know, look at 9-11, how our churches surged in, in membership after 9-11, only to within four or five months to go back to the, you know, the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a question for a pastor. But I will say that what I see, for instance, I just talked to a fellow who was a persecutor of Christians, just like Saul. Uh-huh. He was a persecutor uh-huh. of Christians, and God got a hold of him. He had visions and dreams. God got a hold of him, just like Paul uh-huh. or like Saul. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he became a major um, follower of Jesus Christ and suffered greatly because of it. Mm-hmm. in prison, tortured, and so on, his faith grew. Um, in our country, and I've seen this, what we used to call threatened countries, other countries, well, like under communism, but they were not quite under that full communism yet. And we mm-hmm. would go in and talk to them um, about persecution that is coming. This is what to expect. Maybe mm-hmm. take your churches and form house churches and so on. But until that persecution came, even that city, that country of Grenada all those years ago that we supposedly invaded, the country mm-hmm. of Grenada, they told me there, they said when Marxism came and first they they uh, made people um, be patriotic by working on Sundays on the roads and stuff, and that the people who went to church were ridiculed, and then it was one thing, and then the pastors were arrested. And, and each time, they just buried their heads in the sand until mm-hmm. the persecution got so severe, and then that's when the church started to grow. So do we need persecution here? Well, I don't know if it's coming or not. And, you know, some people will tell me it's here already, but, again, mm-hmm. it's minor. It's not enough to turn people around. So, mm-hmm. yes, we have a weaker church, what might, you many would call a lukewarm church. There are some mm-hmm. great churches out here, too, and great pastors. Mm-hmm. So um, all we can do is just, uh, even for our country, pray for our country, pray for our leaders, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. But the counting it all joy, you said that a few minutes ago. Uh, Paul mm-hmm. said, I count it all joy. Or was it, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, was yeah. that uh, in Acts? Uh, Who were you quoting? Yeah, Paul or that, Peter? Yeah, yeah. I actually was Paul. He says, I count yeah. my li- I and do not when, count my yeah. life dear to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and Paul also said, you know, that... Uh, Finish my race uh, with joy, not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So count it all joy. And when mm-hmm. they're persecuted, their relationship with God grows so much closer that they do have that joy and that dependence mm-hmm. and that assurance mm-hmm that um, we don't have here. Mm-hmm. But there are people in this country and there's people over there that have just given their whole lives, Jesus, use me. God, use mm-hmm. me. And then Whatever. when God uses yeah. them, with every step they take, they grow stronger. Well, it, it, Paul in Philippians, he says, um, it's interesting in chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, for to me, to write these things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Uh, and then he goes on to say, um, let's see, he persecuted the church. He's talking about himself. So he says, but these things were, the, but what was gain, things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. And indeed, I also count all things loss, loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. To be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings 
being conformed to his death. Then he goes on to say that that conforming to his death is going to help him to attain the resurrection from the dead, not as a good work, but um, to be more uh, in fellowship with Christ. I think when we suffer, uh, when people are persecuted together, like you're talking about the persecuted church, the little house churches, they're like they know each other, their family. They have this common bond of of commitment and, you know, uh, strengthening one another, the common bond of being part of the fell in, in fellowship with Christ and his suffering, something that we do not, it's a, it must be a great treasure if indeed Paul had tasted of it and said, I would get, give her a, get rid of everything for that. I mean, we'd say, mm-hmm. Oh man, are you crazy? You're going to give up your nice, you know, um, five bedroom, you know, whatever home and your two car, three car garage and your, you know, your easy commute to work and your 401k for the fellowship of his sufferings. I mean, you just, we just don't comprehend that they're not even in the same uh, dimension, I, I believe. And I don't know what's going to come to this country, but I know Paul says that was more important to him, the fellowship of the suffering or being part of that, than his pedigree and his credentials and his master's and his BA and all this other stuff that he might have pointed to as qualifying him to be an apostle. Um it wasn't about him, obviously, and for these people, it's really not about them. And I believe their idea of heaven must be way more um, amazing than ours because they have nothing here, and they're looking for that fellowship with Christ. So, um, yeah, I don't. So, do they? To these people, do they ever think about themselves and their lives in terms of, of visions and dreams or goals like we do here, or do they just kind of like take one day at a time? I would say one day at a time. You said something about Paul. Let me think back here. You said uh, that uh-huh. he, you know, he was saying he would give up everything for the sake mm-hmm. of Christ, to that fellowship with Christ. Paul mm-hmm. will say that right at the beginning. But as he walked with the Lord, as he was obedient to the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. after he was saved, as he was obedient to the Lord, that relationship never stops growing. And so, right. the the you know, the, and this is what we see overseas. They, mm-hmm. oh, sometimes mm-hmm. it's, Especially, let's just take example of a Muslim who might become a Christian. That is mm-hmm. such uh, a crime in, in other Muslims' eyes because the Quran says that person has become an apostate or a traitor to Islam and so on. And mm-hmm. at first, oh, I meet with them in visions and dreams or whatever, and they are very, they can be very, very timid, and they are afraid to even meet together with others because they're afraid of informants and, and you know, government sure. retributions and so on. But mm-hmm. uh, the more they're obedient to God's calling in their life, and the calling may not be to be a minister, but whatever the calling is, as they're obedient, they feel that they're being obedient to God, um, their relationship with God grows. And that's true mm-hmm. here, too. As we as we mm-hmm. uh, listen to God's call and we do that, whether it's, we're going to be a school teacher or whatever, um, it, you know, as you continue in that obedience to God, your relationship with him grows, and he becomes very real to you compared to, uh, in maybe your early days as a Christian of just uh, knowing the Bible stories and so on. But mm-hmm. again, as you as you follow his, his lead, and mm-hmm. I think that's something in my own life that I could attest to that, um, as I said right at the beginning, God didn't drop me off on the deep end right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started out by taking trips that were somewhat supervised, and then uh-huh. uh, different organizations said, can you do this for us and that for me? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so over the years, and then finally we started new service, to continue mm-hmm. the work that God has called me to. And, and we've grown. Mm-hmm. We're not a big organization, but uh, uh, we have a big impact. Or so they tell me, like in the Middle East, we have a big impact wow. over there. 
And mm-hmm. so um, we're just grateful that God uses us. And, uh, oh. you know, it's not, that's not, I'm not trying to brag or anything like that. We're just no, servants. No. Yeah, we're yes, just exactly. servants. Well, you're and kind of like, been, you know, you're kind of like carrying the news, the reports back, which I think are important. I think their strength, their courage, God's faithfulness to them, their martyrdom, their persecutions are <clears throat> important for us to hear about because we need to know that that is going on for so that we can pray. And second of all, that that, that is uh, the power and demonstration of God in, in delivering them, even though it would look like to us, well, they're not getting delivered, they're getting beheaded or whatever. But, you know, uh, taking this another step to in a little bit different direction, you know, in our in our country, we um, we want to take care of our children. We want to make sure they're safe, that they get all the best advantages, that they, you know, that we, we dote on them, we, we're jealous over them, we give them, you know, opportunities. Uh, we, we make sacrifices ourselves so they can have opportunities in school and with sports and with music and lessons and, and various things to give them an advantage to gain more materialistic things. Um, but God seems to parent his children in just the opposite way. I mean, we dote on our children to give them everything, their littlest, tiniest whim, and God actually takes everything away in a way so that there's nothing left but him, and then he becomes everything to them, which I find, you know, what what would happen to our kids in this country? They seem to be, you know, uh, under the sense of entitlement and, and rebellious and, and deserving, what would happen to them if we started parenting our children the way God parents us? You know, I just uh, think that's kind of interesting how God seems to do everything backwards, uh, or maybe we're doing everything backwards. I don't know. But uh, the more he persecutes them, they're not, they're, they're giving themselves their lives. They're, they're teaching their children how to give their lives to God. This is like um, pure. This is pure. This is holy. This is um uh, there's no guile in this kind of service. This weeds out the the lip service pretty fast, I'd say. I th- I think the lip service on when you when you get to persecution, the lip service is pretty much weeded out immediately. Don't well, you would know, you say that? Would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I. I couple of things I'm thinking of. I knew, uh, I still know, of this one pastor. He has mm-hmm. four children, and all four mm-hmm. of the children, when they went to school, again, this is a Muslim country, uh, mm-hmm. the, they were the only Christian kids in each of the classes, and how they were, this, the little boy who went to school, six years old, all excited about going to school for the first time, found out he was the only Christian boy in the class, and the other mm-hmm. boys would uh, obviously pick on him and smear him with dirt and kick him and all of this. He came home in tears, and I happened to be there at the time. Mm. And uh, his father and I, all we could say to him is, you have to let the love of Jesus flow through you. This is a six-year-old, you know, because you have to go back to school. You will be discriminated against. You will be teased, et cetera. And and, uh, so he did go back to school and did the best he could to just let the love of Christ flow through through him. And uh, one of his chief tormentors is today one of his best friends. But that doesn't mean that the the family and the parents don't hurt when these kids hurt. Um, There's obviously the... um, yeah, and as far as raising them, uh, the kids over there uh, in the, the different countries, they're unfortunately getting more and more into materialism because they mm-hmm. now have cell phones and they have computers. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, That's weakening I do them, know then, of, of families that had to flee 
uh, one of these restrictive countries and they end up in Canada or they end up here in America. I've seen this for the last 20 years. Many times their children growing up in Canada or America also tend to get into materialism and mm-hmm. even drugs and things. And uh, so what's the best thing? You know, Should they stay in a country where the children are persecuted? Mm-hmm. On a spiritual level, that first of all has to be their choice, you know, between them and God. But if the kids mm-hmm. stay in these restrictive countries, they grow strong in the Lord, even though mm-hmm. they might grow weak in real life. Whereas mm-hmm. kids that come to a materialistic country like ours often get sucked right into that materialistic society by right. their peers. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, so what is better? You know, mm-hmm. what is better mm-hmm. for the families? But it is still very. I just um, heard of a family. They're fleeing Mosul, which is in the north part of Syria, where ISIS Mm -hmm. came in and just, you know, that's the Islamic radical group. They came in and within just days conquered the whole city. I've been there. I've been in the churches there. Churches Mm -hmm. were closed. Churches were destroyed. Christians were told, you um, you have three choices. You can convert Mm -hmm. and become Muslims, or you can pay this, you can stay as a Christian and live here, but you have to pay a real heavy tax. It's called jizya tax which mm-hmm. has been going on for 1,400 years, or uh, the sword. And so mm-hmm. this one family knew ISIS was coming, and so they had other children, which they sent off to relatives in safer areas, but they kept their little three-year-old girl with them. They boarded like a refugee bus to get out of Mosul, and mm-hmm. uh, they got stopped by an ISIS roadblock. Mm-hmm. The ISIS soldiers got on the bus saw this little three-year-old and just snatched her right out of her mother's arms. And the mm-hmm. mother screamed, and the father obviously objected and tried to fight them off, and they hit him with a rifle, but he fell to the floor. And they told the mother if she made any more fuss, they would kill all three of them. And then they just left the bus with their three-year-old child. And I've mm-hmm. talked, you know, there's there's nothing we can do except pray. And then mm-hmm. the others, in Egypt especially, I know of girls that have been kidnapped, have been sold into slavery, have been married off to... Uh, you know, Muslim jihadists and so on. Mm-hmm. And some, mm-hmm. uh, I know of two cases where they got back, but most of these girls are lost forever. And I think of the mm-hmm. little slave girl in the Old Testament and how mm-hmm. even these girls in these horrible circumstances, if their faith is strong, and in most mm-hmm. cases it yeah. will be, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. think of the impact they might have on their Muslim captors. Wow. It's you like, know, name, it was it Naaman, the, the, the little slave girl that was the... The leprous Naaman, and, and uh, she told him that he should, you know, her God could heal him. And so then uh, he was told to dip in the, the, the river seven times. And of course, he thought that was just a mockery of his dignity, but ended up doing it and ended up being healed. And that was the word that came to this child. And so I know that uh, God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Um, I don't think we're near the end of our persecution. Uh, though we are kind of getting near the end of the show. But uh, can you tell us a little bit more, Pat, about exactly you know how we can help you or or what you need in terms of an, and your, um, and your uh, publication to, uh, or your ministry? Tell us a little bit more about what we can, how we can help you. Well, I know we're getting toward the end. Uh, first, I can give you a phone number, and uh, pe- people could call this number. Um, they would then be directed to me through this number. They um, they have questions or they you know have specific areas of how they can get involved. But what mm-hmm. they what people can do here in America, first mm-hmm. and foremost, pray. And that doesn't to some maybe doesn't seem like all 
too much. But in Mm -hmm. reality, when you're praying for one of these persecuted, you are actually praying against what Satan can do in their lives. So Mm -hmm. it's a big deal, and they know it. That's why the first thing they ask for is prayer. Second Mm -hmm. thing they ask for is Bibles. Um, We do a lot of work in the Middle East. The Arabic Bible, hardcover Arabic Bible, costs about $5. But for every Mm -hmm. Bible we deliver, it's estimated that 10 people read it. So really, Mm -hmm. for 50 cents, you can read somebody with the Word of God. And in Egypt alone, hundreds of thousands of Bibles are now in the rural areas. And the Mm -hmm. pastor there said, Pat, do you realize that because of you and your, you know, your supporters, your donors, uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of Bibles are now in Egypt, and thousands, tens of thousands have come to Christ because of those Bibles. Because there's no missionaries there. There's no churches there. Mm -hmm. Well, there are churches, but not many. So Mm -hmm. the second thing is Bibles. The third thing Mm -hmm. would be monetary support. We support uh, persecuted pastors and lay leaders in these countries, and Uh that allows them to not have to go out and get a secular job. One fellow I know, by the time he was 22, he'd led 3,000 people to Christ. Now, there's an evangelist. And Mm -hmm. so we have been supporting him for 20 years, and he has led countless to Christ since then. Um, And so that's another way to be involved. We also can get involved in humanitarian things, uh, families that right now we have all sorts of requests, and I'll be going over to meet these families. Um, Mm -hmm. Just they're in refugee camps. They've lost everything. We can help. Mm -hmm. So we do that also. So there's humanitarian work. And then Mm -hmm. if people are interested in going, uh, mm-hmm. They can contact me, and I can put them in contact with, uh, depending on what they want to do, with either mm-hmm. our organization or other organizations. And I would, I encourage people to travel. Uh, I just mm-hmm. go as a tourist, and um, it's very easy to get a tourist visa to most of these countries. And if you really want to do that, you can bring maybe one Bible in their local language, and you know the uh, the opportunities and the blessings would be tremendous. So mm-hmm. there's different wow. ways to get involved. The, uh, should I give you the phone number now? Um, sure. Why don't you do that? And then um, if people are ready, they can write this down. This phone number will get them. Uh, there has to be a little bit of a clearance issue here. So this number is not Pat's number. But if you're truly interested in what needs to be done, then um, you're going to get uh, able to use this number to take the next yeah, step. So it, what it, is it's the number? A number of one of our, it's one of our board members, although mm-hmm. he probably won't be in this evening. But uh, the number is... It's a local number, Minnesota number, 763-689-3649. And they can ask for Steve. They can ask for for Pastor Steve. I'll repeat Mm -hmm. it, 763-689-3649. And he can answer some of their questions. He's been on our board for at least 15 years. And uh, if if they want to talk directly to me, that can be arranged too, of course. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, I'm just looking through the book of Revelations here, and I think that uh, I don't know what your idea is about the end times and the persecution and whatnot, but in in the book of Revelations, chapter, uh, let's see, 3, he says to the church of, um, let's see, I think it's Philadelphia. Yeah, he says, these things says he who is holy and tr- who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, for for you have a little strength, have kept my word, 
and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you, because you have kept my commandments to per, my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Uh, behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take away your crown. He overcomes. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe that God, at least in this country anyway, is purifying, bringing judgment upon the churches. I don't I don't see the persecution over there as a judgment of God because the people were bad. I see it as a as a, a qualifying, as a opportunity to be strengthened and be blessed, as a, giving them opportunities to reap great blessings, the blessings of a, a crown of life, um, perseverance, and that sort of thing. But in this country, I believe because we have divided the gospel, made you know, followed counterfeit look-alike Jesuses, worshipped our worship and worshipped our faith and worshipped our bigness and our churches and our bricks and our mortar and our steeples and our bells and all this other stuff. I believe that God is bringing a judgment to bring us back to basics. And so, um, you know, I, I think if nothing else, the, the story which you're doing, Doctor Pat, is is continuing to put a mirror uh, before us to let us see what it really looks like, what God's church really, really looks like. And it doesn't look much of anything like what we go to church on Sunday to do. Um, I, 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 I'm a pastor's wife still, and for many, 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 many years, we've served in several denominations, bigger churches and whatnot. And this is my conclusion that if you read the Word of God, really just, just read it, take your denominational glasses off and just read it, you'll find out, what what it says in the book of Acts, what it says in the New Testament, doesn't look much at all like what we see. However, that may change as God in his mercy may also bring or allow or permit persecution over here, which, you know, I think a lot of people, they, you know, they want to know when Jesus is coming back and when the rapture is going to be and if there's a rapture and are we going to get taken out of here before all this gets too bad. You know, I don't think the people in your, your countries over there talk at all about you know, the rapture or getting, you know, Jesus coming back in time to rescue me out of this, do they? Do they? No, but to... they, they do. They're just so aware. You know, you asked me something before. You said, uh, how how can we help? Um, one other thing I could say is if they want to contact us at that number, we can arrange yeah. for a speaker to come to their church. And Ooh, yeah. I, I honestly will have to say, in my own opinion, but from what I've seen over these last 33 years, mm-hmm. is that when people hear this and some uh, embrace it, start to get involved, and even in churches, it changes our American priorities. And mm-hmm. I honestly feel that we probably do more to the churches or for the churches mm-hmm. here, almost mm-hmm. than we do over there, um, mm-hmm. because it does make a huge difference in a church's life when they uh-huh. get involved with the persecuted. So they can call yeah, and get yeah. a speaker, and um, awesome. and then to challenge them, uh, mm-hmm. I would say, hey guys, look up Hebrews thirteen three. And it's mm-hmm. it's a command, it's not an option. And it says, remember mm-hmm. those who are in prison Marper. as if you are in prison with them 
and those who are persecuted, for we are all part of the body of Christ. And yeah. so they need to be praying for their brothers and sisters. It's not a, yeah. it's a command, not an option. And exactly. uh, that will change your individual priority, too. How do they pray? Praying specifically would be great. They can get our prayer letter and uh, mm-hmm. get personal stories of the persecuted. And some of these persecuted or people that we've been with for 20-some-odd years, 30-some-odd years, people mm-hmm. here tell me, we pray for them daily. We pray for them daily. It becomes real. Mm. Yeah, so we're really connecting with them through the prayer chains and the prayer links and offering these prayers to God for their safety. And that becomes then we also then are participating in the fellowship of their sufferings uh, with our commitments to pray for them. And, of course, it's really yes. hard to get emotionally involved if you don't even know the story. And so you really we do need specific stories. And for that, we're grateful to you for risking your life to some extent, I suppose, to go over there and, and get these stories, write these stories and tell us these stories. And um, so I just, I just, you know, and, I, and people say, well, I don't want to think about that. That's just negative. You know, I just want to think about the flowery, whatsoever things appear lovely, honest, just of good report. Well, this is good report. This is an excellent report that people are standing for God and not being afraid and not being intimidated. They're not backing down. So I, I'd say this is a very encouraging you know, we all want to be a hero. We always want our heroes to win. We're willing to watch, you know, the movies where they go through the contest, the conflict, the, you know, the the battle, whatever it is. But we always like to see them come out tough and victorious. And that's exactly what our brothers and sisters are doing and proving over there through the grace and power of God, that God is able to make them stand. So this ought to make us proud to be part of that same church that they are standing for. So, I just I agree that if you want to get a hold of Dr. Pat, use the number. You want to say the number one more time, so in case they miss it. The I first will. Time. And if people might wonder, oh, why doesn't you know why don't they use the last name? Well, we've had security problems here in the Twin Cities because of the work we do. So uh, mm-hmm. that's it was the other radio station, KTIS, that said, why don't we just drop the last name and use Dr. Pat? And mm-hmm. uh, I feel a little funny about that, but that's also why we can't give out my home phone number or our office mm-hmm, number. Sure. But but um, the number that they can call to uh, get us in touch with each other is 763 689 Yes, and if you... Um want to get a hold of you or get a chance to read your News Service 2000 um, material. Do you, by the way, are you writing any books or anything? Can you Are you going to write any of this in a in a in a book? In a or have you just well, done it? <laughs> the the only thing is lack of time. But I have uh-huh. been challenged and I repeatedly and by people overseas. And mm. the interesting thing is, they said. Pat, you need to write this. Not many women do what you do, and maybe your book would encourage other young women or single mm-hmm, women mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. out there and, and, and do this also. I don't mm-hmm. think what I do is all that extraordinary, but uh, mm-hmm. um, and I've taken people with me, and they don't think it's extraordinary either, but, but uh, even the people, mm-hmm. like you said, in these countries where there's persecution, they say you really should write a story. I just mm-hmm. need to find a good, uh, what do you call it, editor or someone because I'm mm-hmm. not ghost a writer. good writer. <laughs> the ghost, ghost writer, writer right. Well, so. you know, speaking of what you see over there, one more question just came into my mind. And before I let you go, um, we don't have to, we can, we can go for another two hours if you want to, or one hour for sure. But we, you know, but I, I just, do you see um, miracles over there? Like, uh, you know, I, obviously you see miracles of rescue and Bibles being hidden, um, 
you know, the hand of God are blinding the eyes of the of the those would search your luggage, etc. Do you see people reporting to you miracles of things that God has done to provide for them uh, in a supernatural way in their own worlds, whether it's food or shelter or uh, favor? Is there any that come to your mind? Well, I mean, absolutely. Sure so I, 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 I was thinking you were going to ask about healing and, and casting out demons, and I've certainly seen that. Oh, my gosh. Over there, oh. um, because uh, non-Christians look, because we're all spiritual beings, and so non-Christians yeah. are always looking for, you know, answers, and they turn mm-hmm. to false prophets, false beliefs, or whatever. Uh-huh. And in some, in, especially in the Middle East, they uh, don't realize how harmful it is, but they invite spirits into their lives. They do become sure. possessed. And yep. I have uh-huh. seen exorcisms and this sort of thing. That is a miracle. Uh, healings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't personally experienced too many, but I've seen healings and also miracles of absolute provision, uh, people mm-hmm. that are destitute and all of a sudden somebody comes out of the blue and just helps them. Uh, is that a miracle or not? I would think yeah. so because it's mm-hmm. so extraordinary. So, yes, mm-hmm. those types of miracles also. And then uh, uh, God's timing in, like in the delivery of Bibles. Um, mm-hmm. I remember delivering Bibles one night with a pastor, and we're doing this at night, and we're carrying identical boxes of books, and we're on public transportation. It's midnight. And uh, uh, so we kind of separated so people wouldn't wonder why this guy who's um, obviously not my nationality, how we're, you know, carrying these boxes. We're walking down the street at midnight in the dark, and the guy comes up to the other fellow and goes, Pastor, Pastor, where have you been? We haven't seen you for a while. And so I kept walking because I didn't want us to be seen together. And I mm-hmm. stopped about, oh, half a block away and watched. And, and the young man said, uh, oh, Pastor, it's so bad. We need Bible so much. We need. I need a Bible. And he didn't know that Pastor Jack was standing there with a box of Bibles. But uh, uh-huh. next thing I hear, rip, rip, rip. And he's taking out this Bible and handing it to this guy. And the guy goes away with a big smile. And oh, then uh, I remember and I completely we encapsulated woman. This would be a Muslim woman that nothing shows. She even has a scarf over her eyes. I mean, oh, it's wow. thin, so she can, she can see. But And uh, we were loading Bibles into a Jeep in Sudan. And mm-hmm. uh, she came up during the broad daylight very timidly and very quietly asked her if she could have a Bible. And, wow. Uh, How know, did she, she know you had Bible. them? Well, she saw us loading them. And the thing is, I mean, it, you know, she could see books, and, and she knew it was coming out of a church. So she, I guess she must have figured. I didn't talk to her because I don't know the language, but the person mm-hmm. was with me. And, uh, you know, if she takes that Bible home, she has to keep it hidden. Or her family, finding her with a Christian book, they would even just kill her. Another girl that was found with a Bible in Egypt of all places, her family locked her in her her bedroom for three weeks without food to punish mm-hmm. her and make her, you know, deny that she was a Christian. Muslim mm-hmm. family. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, those are miracles how God even, you know, protects them as they go about it and so on. So what happens over there is the book of Acts, no doubt about it. And uh, I would encourage people to think about going and visiting their brothers and sisters. Their lives will never be the same again. Wow. Praise God. Well, did you, you know, this is just so encouraging. I mean, you know, even this message of sadness and pain and, and that we're eventually going to all be together with Jesus in heaven and this is all going to be behind us. Um, and at this Christmas season, too, and I know uh, some people, this is switching subjects to, to Ted, but it's not really. Uh, if you have an opportunity to give 
to this kind of a ministry or give the funds that they need, the money they need to buy the Bibles or to help them uh, with the, you know, buy their plane tickets or whatever. I just pray that you would, uh, as the Lord leads you, you will share your Christmas blessings this year so that you can be part of uh, those who are going to be blessed for helping uh, visit those in prison and um, clothing the naked and feeding the hungry, as we're told about in Matthew 25. Uh, that you would take advantage of this super opportunity in these days to love our brothers and sisters over the overseas. And I know some people, they do Christmas things. They they do little shoe boxes full of this and that and everything. And that's all great. Um, and I wouldn't discourage you or they buy them a goat or they, you know, buy them a cow and whatever through various other ministries that are legitimate. So if God is laying upon your heart to reach out this year, don't make it difficult. Just do it. Don't say, oh, I can't, I don't know anybody. You know somebody now. You know this Dr. Pat. You know you have a phone number here. So um, give something, um, and may the Lord just bless your ministry. Do you have a website or anything, or don't you do that? Yeah, no, we do, yes. It's uh, um, News Service, that's two, le- two S's in the middle there, News Service 2000, oh. the number 2000.com. Um, mm-hmm. News Service 2000.com. I think you cut out there a little bit, so let me repeat that. Uh, it's www.newsservice2000.com. Is that correct? Right, and they can donate online through that if they want. Awesome, awesome. That's great. Well, you know, and I'm sure you have other ways that they can do things if they want to. That's perfect. Well, listen, let me pray for you, and um, thank you, Jesus, for uh, this brave woman, uh, this very unique woman who you have anointed to carry the message, bring the message of your good news, and also bring back to us the message of your good news, of what you are doing, how great you are, how awesome you are. But we pray tonight for the people who are persecuted, those who have lost their children today. Um, I just heard of another incident over um, with ISIS. Father God, that this family, whether they're in heaven with you right now or some are yet remaining alive down here, I pray that you'd comfort them, Lord, and I pray that you'd strengthen your people all over the world, that we would not just give you lip service, but that you, God, are proving that you give us the strength, the Holy Spirit strength to endure and to go through these things for your glory, and that we do not need to fear, we do not need to worry, we just need to walk and follow you, Father. So I pray for Dr. Pat that you give her strength and health and joy and uh, opportunities, open doors, as we read about uh, to the Church of Philippi, uh, the Philippians, Lord God, that you give her an open doors, that no one can shut, and that you just give her favor, continue to send the angels with her, uh, and close the eyes of the guards or the or the, uh, the uh, ex- inspectors or whoever that might be. And Lord, I even pray too tonight that you would send ministering angels. You said you've got angels who minister to the heirs of righteousness. That you send ministering angels to these broken per- ones, that they would bring food, they would bring um, uh, comfort, they would bring mm-hmm. multiplication, uh, hear, mi- miracles of healing. Uh, like Peter got out of jail, the angel came and just opened the doors. Peter was sleepwalking. Before he even realized it, he was out. Father God, you can do these things again, and I believe you want to because it glorifies Jesus. So I pray, Father, that as the church prays, you will just continue to multiply and increase this kind of, uh, these wonderful divine. You said you're the God of escapes, so Make escapes for your people, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been very, very delightful to hear uh, what you're doing. And I'm sure if you are so inclined, we'd love to hear again in a couple of months another report 
the Lord willing on how things are going. And uh, and in the meantime, we'll just um, uh, protect, pray God's divine protection upon you. And whatever your plans are, I won't ask you specifically to give us those over the radio. But um, <laughs> yes, and and you know this is also archived. So many people we have people who are listening tonight. Obviously, they didn't, they didn't call in. Uh, they're probably just too busy listening. It's just too exciting. So anyway, you, you these will be archived. So if anybody wants to find them uh, or send your friends to listen to this, it's uh, www.liferecovery.com. You can go to the radio Rescue Radio Archives and check the date, and you'll have the this uh, episode tonight about the persecuted church. And uh, there's many, many other things on liferecovery.com. Uh, we've got a shop, a, a store actually, we can purchase many things to help you with your Christian walk, um, and you'll be able to check with us on our emails and everything. Oh, one more thing, advertising, I want to kind of throw out. We are reserving um, Friday. I mean, sorry, sorry, back it up, scratch that, erase that from your brain. Uh, <laughs> Saturday, February 7th, uh, to do a workshop in the cities at the Holiday Inn in Rogers on um, troubled children. So we're inviting parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles of troubled children to come. We're going to do an all-day workshop from 9 to 3, and it is free and open to the public, but it's probably a good thing that you'd call and, and register because uh, the seating is limited, and I expect we'll fill the house. So um, you, that's, uh, you can check that out at our, our website very soon. It's not up there quite yet, but you mark your calendar. Uh, that will be February 7th, Saturday, the first Saturday in February. Okay. God bless you guys. Good night. And thank you again, Dr. Pat. The Lord's blessings upon you. Thank you. And you too. All right. Good night. Good night.